What's up, everybody? Welcome or welcome back to the Fantasy Football Card Quest. We've got a special guest in the house tonight. I'm so excited to introduce this man right here to you guys sitting in the in the cornfield uh, straight from Nebraska because he is uh, pretty much new to the hobby for the last nine months, but he has gone hot and heavy back into the hobby from being in it a little bit in the 90s, a little bit in the 2000s. He's also 1-0 on selling GOAT rookie cards. He's 1-0 on grading through SGC. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. He's also professionally written for Bleacher Report, SB Nation, uh, Athlon Sports, and he's got over 18 years of sports journalism experience. So I want to talk to him about prospecting future athletes. As we know, FOMO drives the football card market. So that's something I'm always very interested in. Uh, but... You can find this man right here, Brandon, at 402 Collectibles on Twitter. What's up, Brandon? What is up, Andy? Uh, great to be here. Great to be part of the quest. Um, something that I've been following, like you said, getting back into the hobby this year. Uh, was fortunate enough to find your channel. Love all the content. Binged it. Absolutely. And um, been looking forward to this all week. So I see you're sitting in a cornfield, but that's a virtual that's background, what, right? No, oh no, this is what happens in Nebraska. We all live in cornfields. We all have outhouses. No such thing as indoor plumbing. Um, I, I have a horse around here somewhere. No, uh, I just felt since everybody, you know, said, oh, the dude's from Nebraska, this is probably what they anticipate. So I felt this would probably be the way to go. Hey, but that's what uh, raises the best defensive players in the NFL, right? Uh, Levante like David, Damacon Sue. Uh, I think that's also Nick Saban and some of those folks. But yes, uh, plenty of defense players, plenty of former black shirts in the NFL across the years. Uh, right now, I think Levante and Damacon are doing the best job of that. Also, a little bit of Will Compton in uh, in Las Vegas. Um but yeah, the, the Huskers are mingling and kind of around a little bit in the NFL. Um, hasn't been a lot of NFL um, talent really coming through Lincoln as of, as of late, but might see a little bit here in the upcoming draft. So, so you were a little bit in the hobby in the 90s, a little bit in the hobby into the 2000s, but you got back in hot and heavy about nine months ago. What was the first thing you did when you got back in? Like, how did you find out about it? And then what was the first thing you did? That's that's a great question. So um, just kind of from where I got um, back when I was a kid, we're about the same age. And my uncle actually gave me um, a box of cards. I really wasn't into sports, so I had no idea who these people were. And there was football, basketball, baseball, hockey even. Um, I had to ask a friend of mine, are these guys any good? But I did enjoy it. Um, and then I kind of got phased out, but then back in the two thousands, um, I started collecting, you know, a few more cards, ripping packs, um, got on eBay, started getting former Huskers, which is, you know, primarily who I PC, uh, regardless of sports so football, basketball, baseball, etc. Um, but then earlier this year, uh, you know, obviously there was, there was the boom and excuse me, not earlier this year, back in 2020, there was the boom and things kind of continued on. Um, and I heard about, you know, people getting in fights at, at Target and all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow, this stuff is really popping off. So I came back in and before all that kind of went down and, and Target went primarily online only, I was actually going up 
with my son like on Fridays and we would get something we get like a you know whatever the limit was at the time and uh we we got back into it I learned about just everything because where we started when we were kids and where we are now two completely different worlds I come back and thinking oh hey cool cards yeah you know sports cards da, 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 da. and then I'm learning about parallels and different kinds of autographs and yeah, this card in 2012 is good, but then in 2015, not so, you know, it's not viewed as, so short prints, super short prints. I mean, it is so complex now that I'm still several months later um, learning so much, not just, I mean, from you and from, I listen to probably five uh, podcasts weekly um, and some of those with multiple episodes. So I have been able to take in a lot of information. So I, I want to, I, I have to elaborate. I want you to elaborate on your Brady uh, rookie card selling experience because something we were talking about, you know, before the show is, is from the time you got it in time, you found this Brady rookie card and you sold it. You actually learned so much from since then that you've actually sold much more modern cards of much more speculative players for, for more money in, in comparison, I want you to elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. So when I was looking around, I was looking through my cards. I did find an Aaron Rodgers, um, and that was a Topps Chrome. Um, and then I found the Brady. Um, I know you're familiar with it. It looks like he is in a Michigan practice shell in Jersey. Like, yes, he's been drafted, but we can't show him in a Michigan jersey. So we'll just kind of vaguely – over here um no that one i found and it was in good condition so i'm like hey people are buying sports cards people are buying sports cards for a lot of money tom brady is tom brady you know that's all i really needed to know there um so that i had that and then i kind of knew a little bit about grading like as a concept so i thought i'd go to a local card shop and see if the owner could kind of give me an idea because i had no idea about what they what a grading company would look for or any of that so i wanted to see if it was even worth my while and um experience wasn't that great um and overall he kind of gave me the idea that the card wasn't like worth much so my perception of the card itself was like yeah it's a tom brady card but i had no idea about how the hobby had evolved and just what the actual worth of the card could be so I went on, and this is kind of where I started learning how to comp. I, I had looked at like sold prices for forever and a day, you know, something that you do, something that people around the hobby do consistently when they want to flip or anything of that nature. And there were similar cards that were going for at the time, I want to say four, five, six hundred dollars. But uh, you know, they those sales were a little while back. I didn't want to be greedy about it, you know, I just wanted to, you know, pay some bills and whatnot. So I put it up for, it was raw, uh, $300 OBO. And I remember walking away about 15 minutes after listing, I got an offer of 150, about three or three to three to five minutes after that, I got an offer for 200, about three to five minutes after that, somebody bought it for 300, just bang. Um, and of course you have that regret at the time. You're like, oh, wow, I should have put it up for that five, 600. Um, but Hey, not, not going to complain. Right. Can, can only, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20. 
But then, like you were saying, uh, we go more modern. I was ripping some select with my son. He absolutely adores it. And he has the touch. He pulled a uh, Justin Herbert white die cut uh, rookie out of NFL select. And we went on to then sell that card for, I think I actually sold it for 400, but then after fees and shipping got about 330. So cleared 330. So again, that's with probably about three, four months experience and learning a bit more and learning what sets and what player, well, you know, Justin Herbert, I had followed him in Oregon. So I knew Justin Herbert, but when you are looking at actual material, actual cards and how people in the hobby perceive those, and there are so many different types of people in the hobby, people who are strictly collectors, strictly dealers, strictly investors. You've got people who, um, I, I would have to say, I claim all three of those titles, and I know I'm not the only one. So with that mindset, I was able to go with, oh, okay, um, you know, I could be a little a little bit better informed on that. And then now, uh, it's just saying, going 1-0 on, uh, on grading, again, I, I got to give my son uh, props on this. We pulled a uh, Justin Herbert uh, Prism Black Silver, and it looked pretty good. We sent it in, got a Gem Mint 10. Um, it's currently up on the uh, the eBay page that is for sale at this point in time. But no, it's been great. Um, been a wonderful experience all the way around. I got to tell you, I mean, when it came to the grading, SGC, all the props to them. They basically under-promise, over-deliver. They recently had to extend their times to 45 to 60 days. I sent this thing in in October. Um, I got it back in 30 days. Uh, they were expecting, you know, they said expect 45 to 60. Got it back in 30, even. Uh, just all the way across the board. Loved the experience. And throw a throw a hot take out there real early. I'll be dead honest. I do not like PSA slabs. These things look like dot matrix printer to me. And I really think that the, I really think the, the only reason that they're sticking out so much is they are known as the gold standard. I think if you take somebody who's brand new in the hobby, kind of like I was several months ago, if you swap even the, the way, like, even if you swap like an, uh, an SGC and PSA, I think just a, a number of brand new people would say, wow, these SGC ones actually look a little more uh, up to date. Now, I'm not saying the PSA, the look doesn't have its place by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying that. But when it comes to PSA, I understand they've been around. They have the cachet. They have, they have the stroke, so to speak. So, yeah, it is going to bring in that extra couple hundred dollars. But we've been seeing sales now start to creep up there to where I think SGC is is getting uh, a reputation as hard graders. But I think there's a, a sense of pride there when you get like that Gen Mint 10 from SGC. So we're starting to see those sales creep up and just their customer service. You, you can't deny that they do one heck of a job in terms of getting stuff turned around, especially for the price point. You don't have to spend a hundred bucks um, and then wait for six months with uh, supply chain issues or anything like that. You don't have to necessarily wait perhaps longer than that. So a lot yeah, to that and, say, and, I don't prefer necessarily uh, prefer, prefer PSA, excuse me. 
and not to mention SGC offers that little uh, photo service. They take a little picture of your card and they'll put it in in your collection on their website. In professional pictures, you could just grab that, download that JPEG, and put it right on eBay as as your listing. It's perfect lighting, everything. That was one thing I really enjoyed about it because I was hoping to see what the grade was before it got to me. And that was the way I actually found out about the grade was that picture. And it is a gorgeous professional picture. You get the, you get the reflection on there, you get the refractor on there. And that is what went up on eBay in addition to the actual photos. So, you know, I'm not just taking a screenshot, but that, yeah, that was how I found out about the grade. Um, the whole process was really cool. And then to have that, uh, be the end result and actually get it in my hands. Uh, it was really cool. Very cool. So yeah, the, that, that is, that is really cool, man. So you're one, you're one and oh on grading, get the SGC 10. You, uh, you were fortunate enough not to get succumb to doing tons and tons of breaks, uh, which I had the same bad luck. It was like, you know, in, in a way, I'm I'm very happy that it happened. That I I burned 150 dollars and got absolutely nothing because I'll never do another break again. You know, kind of learned that lesson the uh, the hard way. But it was good because I think you could easily get sucked into those if you start you know winning <laughs> some nice cards. Breaks were actually kind of how I got reintroduced as well um, as a person that I had known for a while had a break group and he. And his friends primarily work with baseball. Um, I am a Kansas City Royals fan, so I got it usually pretty cheap. Um, but it was easy to get sucked in, right? I mean, there's this talk, oh, you could, you know, you can get this great hit, you can get an autograph, you can get these fantastic prospects. Um, and it's really this larger-than-life idea, especially when you have social media and you see not only people ripping fantastic cards and getting those big hits, but then you've got breakers showing all of the great hits that they get and there's this misconception i think that yeah there's just this you're going to hit this fantastic card you're going to um you're going to be able to pull this 300 card that you can slap on ebay right away and sell um and i think that really does a lot of people a disservice especially folks who are newer who are getting back into the hobby now i know there's still tons of people that are just now getting back into it um as it becomes even more affordable. And I think you go out there and you see, you know, people pulling these, you know, whether it's the zebras out of select or silvers or these, these fantastic autographs and everything like that, thinking that's going to be them. All I have to do is just, you know, have the touch that one particular day. And then you've got somebody who's buying, you know, 200, 300, $350 in, in product if they can get their hands on it and ripping thinking they're going to get that. And they might get an autograph or two, but it might not be somebody who's set up to excel in the immediate. As a matter of fact, my first auto that I pulled um, was a tight end and he was in his Stanford uniform. So that's honestly something that a lot of collectors too, they don't appreciate the college uniform. I'm not one of those. I actually do appreciate the college uniforms. Um, but yeah, there's this misconception out there that you can just go rip fire every single time. And then you have a lot of people sinking a lot of money into it. And I think it does them a disservice. And I think it does the hobby a disservice, honestly. Yeah, for sure. I want to I add uh, touch on the college uniform cards in just a second. 
I want to give a quick shout out here to Michael Ham of Fishing and Sports Card Hobbyist, uh, fellow tampon here with me, and uh, another awesome content creator. And then also shout out to Raven, my my co-host over there on the Comp Kings, man. What's uh what's good tonight, guys? Um, I'm trying, Brandon. I'm really trying to squeak out uh, an advancement in my fantasy football playoffs tonight with this Eagles and Washington game. So, well, not I that long ago, I saw Jalen Hurts did did rush in there for a score. So, fingers crossed for you, man. We both put in a little. He bit got of money another touchdown as well. That's what I'm saying. He got his second touchdown as well. So I'm only down by like eight points right now, and I've got Hurts and Gibson. Uh, I think it's 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 you. You must be bringing the good karma, Brandon. I, I give I give all credit to my son. Seriously, uh, when I'm when I'm ripping myself, it's it's not very much. But he comes around and I start ripping the Justin Herbert and the the mac and cheese and uh, just about. I, I told you the other. It was about a couple weeks ago. Um, I happen to have some products, and a buddy of mine wanted me to basically do like a personal break for him, and we ended up with. Um, it was like a it was like a basic Mac Jones relic, and then it was a Justin Herbert relic, and then a Christian McCaffrey kaboom. So all credit goes to him. Wow, man, that is in, that is incredible. You've got to get him around more anytime you know anytime you're ripping cards, he's got to be there. He's like, I'm not ripping cards unless no son's here. No, I've learned my lesson. So, so nine months into the hobby, fast forward today, what would you say are your, your three biggest or the biggest learning lessons that uh, you had to overcome, that, that you had to learn? Um, how do you think people can, you know, just like help, help brand new people getting in, accelerate their learning curve? Because sure. I think right now we're starting to see an, an uptick again, you know, the slow period. And that's due to a lot of factors. You've got tons of live sports on between professional college, NBA, um, you know, NHL, MLB. And so while well, MLB is, you know, kind of off season right now, but uh, we're getting to the point where NFL playoffs are coming up. You know, people are getting some money in their pockets from Christmas. So you potentially have some new collectors, investors, that are now done with their other sports endeavors and stuff, and they're looking to get into football cards, what would you say to these guys? Well, first I want to acknowledge Raven there in the chat again, said pull the, pull the Lamar Jackson with his son. They are definitely good luck. Um, and also good to see you as well, Michael. Um, so as far as lessons getting back in, I kind of reiterate myself. If you get product, don't expect to be ripping the biggest thing. Um, if you get product, just enjoy the rip itself if you get something great um but don't be going into it expecting to get these fantastic hits especially if you've been on social media and you see people ripping this particular product um whether it's like absolute and it seems like everybody and their brother and their sister is getting a, a is pulling the kaboom um chances are even if you i mean we're, we're gonna we're gonna get a little controversial uh if you do weigh them just because you're hitting the weights that are going around Facebook or Twitter or anything, that does not mean you are going to pull a kaboom. Um, so if you get product, by all means, enjoy it. You know, rip the fat packs, rip the blasters. If you can get your hands on it, rip a mega. Um, but do not go into those retail products expecting the huge hits. They do happen, but not at the rate that's being portrayed on social media. 
The second mm. thing I would say is it's kind of the same deal with breaks. Um, when it comes to breaks, again, they are very entertaining, but they lend themselves well to people who perhaps have a little bit more disposable income. Um, I'm kind of like Raven in that I really have to set a budget and stick to it. And that does not lend itself well to the world of breaks. When I'm getting in a break, it's typically one where I, I mean, again, you have to go in a break being okay with losing that money as really whether you're ripping or you're being in a break, it's essentially gambling. You don't know what's going to come out of that pack. You don't know what that person is going to pull. Um, and in some cases with breakers, I hate it, but there there are still unethical people out there. So it's part of it's part of humanity. Ergo, it's part of the hobby. Um, there are people who weigh those packs, who go through them ahead of time, who will carny it up and happily take your money. So if you're going to be in a break, you want to find uh, somebody that you can trust, somebody that is vouched for, somebody that is legitimate. I cannot overemphasize that. Uh, breaks are fun, but you do need to. Um, do one in a community or with a breaker that you can trust and that is reputable. Do your due diligence when it comes to breakers. Um, third, well, you guys, uh, Carter and you talked about it a little bit earlier, and Carter and I know each other going back uh, a few years. When it comes to grading, um, I think uh, kind of an overemphasis is put on grading. When I listen to a lot of the podcasts that I do, their point of reference is often, for example, a PSA 10. Um, when they're looking for pricing, that's kind of their guide. And I think, again, that puts an emphasis on, okay, well, if your card is going to be worth anything, it has to be sent into SGC or BGS or, or PSA or whatever. And that's not the truth. Um, to kind of echo what Carter was saying earlier in the podcast, earlier uh, in today on uh, December the 24th, the year of our Lord, uh, 2021, like, when it comes to grading, you my advice would be this for somebody that's coming in. If there is a card that you know will bump by several hundred several hundreds of dollars, you have gotten uh, an opinion from maybe somebody who's graded a number of cards, um, multiple people, as I was fortunate enough to have with the Justin Herbert. Um, and it is a card that will get that extra notch um, and, and net you some pretty significant income, by all means, if you have a personal collection card that you want to send in, I'm, I'm looking for just the right Levante David rookie auto. Um, if I want to have that sent in just kind of dressed up a little nice and it looks like a nine or a 10 or whatever, it doesn't even need to be a, a 10 by any stretch, but I just wanted to have it have that nice uh, tuxedo look of an SGC. Yeah, sure. Especially at the price point for SGC right now, 30 bucks a card. Uh, you can't beat that, especially in their turnaround time. But if you're out looking for, you know, for example, a quick flip with a Mac Jones, unless you sink that $200 into Express with PSA and you're already 200 in the hole there, you're hoping to get that back in time for the height to still be there, for the FOMO to still be there. And you may end up losing a, a great deal of money just trying to, to get that seal of approval with PSA or SGC or whomever. Um, there is kind of a misconception going around, I think. And I, I put this out there for you and Carter, actually a few people to talk about. There is a conception, I think a misconception that base is dead. And I think the most recent Mac Jones uh, rated rookie proved that wrong in uh, with, with emphatic gusto 
that base is not necessarily dead. Um, I think that we may have gotten a little spoiled as sellers with the boom, and now we're starting to see that settle a little bit. So you're not necessarily going to get 10 times your initial investment. Um, you can still make some decent money on on flips with base, as, as Raven knows, and he does this on a budget. Um, as you know, uh, going on eBay, get some solid stuff, but just to kind of run down those all again, ripping and breaking, more or less, look at it as gambling. Don't spend money you're not willing to lose if you get something great. And two, if you're just happy getting whatever and adding to your collection with whatever it might be, great, have fun. Um, but when it comes to ripping, don't be expecting the big hits all the time unless you're look, looking at like a hobby box. But then you're getting into some you're getting into some pretty high price points, especially once you start getting the high-end stuff. Um, but beyond that, uh, I would also say, too, if I had to sneak a fourth in there as, as a major, major uh, one, collect what you want. Don't let anybody dictate what you should and should not be collecting. Um, if you want to collect nothing but uh, Justin Herbert base cards, you do you. If you want to collect um, some special defensive player from Eastern Michigan that you knew growing up and he got a scholarship and you watched him bust his butt and get a scholarship and now he's in the NFL, you do you. Absolutely. I, I collect um, former Nebraska players uh, of varying successes. Um, it's the connection that I made during their college years, in some cases, me personally with recruits, former recruits, um, that's where I'm at. So just because I'm looking for like a Tyron Lue uh, rookie from, from his days, even in a collegiate uniform, um, that's not a card that the hobby in general looks at is worth much. But to me, there's um, a lot of sentimental value behind that. And if that's your thing, Go nuts. The, the hobby does not dictate what you should collect. You dictate that. No doubt, man. You should dictate that. Don't get caught up in whatever the latest hype or fad is. Spe uh, speaking of which, you're a big defensive player guy, which is what's fascinating, man. You, you've written for all of these uh, prominent sports journalism establishments, and you are a big proponent of defenses win championships. You love to collect and do you invest in defensive players? I would say that when it comes to defensive players, mostly what I do is collect. Um, and Dominican Sue and Levante David are my tops when it comes to that. But when it comes to an investment and flipping scenario, you know as well as I do, everybody out there um, who's been in the hobby for a hot minute, it's a quarterback-driven hobby. Um, maybe it, 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 I don't necessarily think it should be that way, and I think we're starting to see some markets turn. Um to see guys like, for example, a Jonathan Taylor uh, or a Justin Jefferson start to get their due. But as it is, and I guess as it has been for a minute now, you know, just kind of doing my research, it is very quarterback driven. And that's just that's just kind of how it is right now. Uh, that will that may change here a little bit. But if you are going for like if you're going for the quick flip, um, yeah, you you pop in on all the hot rookie quarterbacks. You hope one catches fire like Mac Jones and hope that their rookie of the year at the end of it, whether it's Justin Herbert, possibly Mac Jones, um, or if you have the opportunity to see somebody in college like a Jonathan Taylor. Man, I watched him run all over Nebraska defenses. He was a guy that I knew by the time that he was done, he would probably do at least pretty well in the league, uh, probably at least hit that three- to five-year career point, um, if not a little bit longer. 
but he had all the tools. Um, now, when it comes to investing in defensive players, that's not saying never do it, leading us into another guy that, quite frankly, for him, college was a formality. It, it was practice. Uh, Micah Parsons was actually ah. in Lincoln being recruited by Nebraska. I got to see this guy, this young man, up live, close and in living color. Dude was an absolute athletic freak back then and when he signed with penn state i knew he'd do well in that defense in that culture and i knew it was just a matter of time um this was a kid that was walking in the door nfl ready though the guy before him that i saw personally up close was in dominican sue um he was not as polished as early but after a couple of years, he was just going out there wrecking people left and right. Micah was the same way. You've now got a guy in Micah Parsons that's more than likely going to be, uh, if not just defensive rookie of the year, I mean, easily defensive rookie of the year, possibly defensive player of the year. So investing in defensive players, not the worst thing you can do, um, but I think you've got to do your research with that. So if you're going to invest, definitely quarterbacks. Um, and then I would say um, skill players with regards to running backs and wide receivers. But when it comes to running backs and wide receivers, you've got to be content sitting for a couple of years. But yeah, when it comes to defense, um, Micah is a guy that I don't necessarily know that I would buy right now unless you can just get an absolute steal um, because there are some opportunities to get in on quite literally absolute uh, cards that are um, color variations for only a few bucks. He, like quite literally Raven again, um, he snagged a uh, blue press proof for I think $3 flip that into, I want to say something like 25, 30. Um, so right now might not be the time to buy on Micah as his, uh, his stuff is going to, it is and will continue to be, I believe going through the roof. But here in the offseason, if you have the opportunity, if you have even had the opportunity now to come across some that may just the person in question may not know what they have, maybe any early in the morning on a Wednesday, um, whatever you like there. Defensive players, they are few and far between, but they can be found. You just got to do your research. And it helps when you watch them in college, admittedly. Yeah, I, I, th I think so. I mean, it, it, it seems like you're you're the perfect guy. To, to have that kind of intel, you guys like you and Carter um, that are prospecting these guys, studying them at the college level. So you're you're 100 percent prepared and it's you can definitely take advantage of these guys in there because we see such a big gap between when their based on risk rated rookie comes out at the beginning of the season. And then these next premium sets like uh, we're looking at an absolute right here, but this has got an autograph on it and a serial number. Uh, but. Um, to your point, the color match base Donruss rated rookie press proof blues were a market inefficiency that Raven was able to capitalize on, pick those up for just a couple dollars. And the demand went through the roof on Micah because he's the perfect storm. And regardless of whether or not, I think regardless of whether or not he's a defensive or offensive player, he's got the youth. We haven't seen his dealing on NFL field yet. Big market team. They're winning. It's just a perfect storm to drive an incredible amount of, of FOMO or, or fear of missing out. Uh, we, and we saw that with Trayvon Diggs, too, his, his teammate. 
Absolutely. And that's a thing where, too, you're going to see some opportunity, I think, at this upcoming draft class to get in on some quality defensive players. Now, again, you've got to be careful because defensive players, they are not necessarily the sexiest, but you might have, um, again, a guy that busts out as a defensive rookie of the year. Not saying there's a Micah Parsons in there, but there are a couple of uh, couple of edge players. Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan's a guy that may very well go number one overall. There's also a young man from Oregon. Um, this may be a defensive heavy first round and draft in general. Uh, Andy and I, we were talking about, hey, if you were going to take a quarterback, who would you take? And outside of Pitt's uh, starter, I don't really know anybody off the top of my head um, who I would invest in as a GM. Now, again, I'm not an NFL GM. I stretch the imagination, but there's nobody that I, even as a fan would say, Oh yeah. Um, I personally am a Packers fan. And obviously there's a lot of controversy there uh, with regards to Aaron Rodgers and how he feels about the organization, but there's not anybody that I would look at and say, okay, absolutely have to draft him either as, you know, to be groomed by Aaron or just to step in. Should he uh, take his talents to whether it's, you know, uh, Denver, you know, Las Vegas, whatever you like. So not really anybody that I'm seeing in this class that's quarterback specific. This may be a, a great opportunity um, for folks who are out there who are curious about investing in defensive players to do a little bit of work and see if some of these edge rushers, some of the linebackers may not be worth getting, uh, getting in on. I wouldn't put quarterback money down on them, um, but definitely take the opportunity to see what's coming out in this class and maybe invest a little bit. I, I like it. What are so? What are what like the key metrics that that we should be looking at from either? Uh, I guess you know most of our fantasy football leagues we're, we're picking a defense as a whole, uh, but in terms of like, like the the specific athlete, what are some some core metrics um, or, or advanced analytics that we should be looking at that correlate? You think well into the NFL in terms of finding a good defensive player. Honestly, I can keep it really, really simple for you. It's it is the absolute freaks, the guys with the uh, the the amazing stats. If they pop, there's a reason for that. There are guys that are like Micah, like Indomitian. Uh, they are NFL ready to go, whether it's early or whether it's at the end of their eligibility. Um, the guys that are popping off the guys that are winning all the awards. If you see a guy that is sticking out on the stat sheet. So for example, if you've got a defensive lineman um, that is high on the national sack chart, high on the tackle for loss chart, um, maybe has an interception. I mean, just the guy that keeps showing up like that. That's a guy. It's, it's not very complicated. It's just the guys who are standing out. Um, if you look back to Micah Parsons time, uh, again, he was standing out as just, again, a linebacker that wasn't necessarily always in position to do a thing, wasn't necessarily set to do a thing, but he made highlights happen. Um, so if you see a defender that the highlights are all over there, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, a name that I've already brought up from the University of Michigan, he was at the Heisman ceremony. Defensive players do not traditionally get that kind of spotlight. Um, I would argue, and this is going to sound real biased coming from the guy standing in the cornfield, um, I would argue that Ndamukong Sue got robbed uh, of the Heisman Trophy. I believe he placed third that year. If you go back and look at his stats, 
he was outdoing entire defenses in terms of tackles for loss and sacks. Um, mm. Absolute nightmare. So when you see somebody like that, you say, oh my gosh, these are video game numbers. That's, I know it seems like amazingly obvious and like, oh, this is too good to be true. When it comes to defensive players, yeah, anything can happen. They might get injured. Um, there may be a, a cultural aspect. There may be something in their personal lives. But if we're looking from just a raw metrics, who do I go after as a defender? If somebody's sticking out there with video game numbers, it may seem too easy. But honestly, that's where I see a lot of the correlation. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. So in terms of in terms of priority or like in terms of, of propensity to break out with their rookie card value, would you say that it would be the edge rushers um, first and then linebackers and then uh, corners or safeties? Um, how would you kind of rank those guys in, in terms of like if everything else were, were equal, you know, um, the, like the team scenario and their age and everything, uh, which one has like a little bit higher ceiling, do you think? Like, that's I, a very I guess good it question. would be more like fan appeal. Yeah, and that's a great question. So, okay, what do fans like seeing most of on defense? You could argue sacks. You could argue tackles for loss. If we're talking the quarterback of the defense, when it comes to the hobby, I would argue those are cornerbacks. Uh, quarterbacks are often in position to go up against your Jamar Chases, your uh, Justin Jeffersons, your hot rookie uh, wide receivers, because if you're not investing in quarterbacks and you're not necessarily investing in running backs, but you're interested in those wide receivers, guess who's going to be going up against them? So when those cornerbacks make plays on the guys that you already have money invested in or uh, guys that other people have a lot of money invested in, suddenly people are like, oh my gosh, these guys can go up against the best of the best. I need to sink money in him. Um, I can totally see that being sort of, again, the, the quarterback of the defense with regards to the uh, the hobby. But if you are looking for um, if you were looking for potentially longer plays, um, I don't necessarily know that I would have gone with JJ Watt coming right out. But <laughs> we obviously know the story there. Um, I got to see him again up close and personal. Um, he had all of the athletic dynamics, but was he a guy that I would necessarily jump in on right away? I don't know about that, um, but I think you guys are going to be seeing a lot of highlights um, heading into the combine and then heading into the draft of some defensive uh, players. You don't necessarily need to listen to all of the analysts or the talking heads. You don't need to listen to everybody on the NFL network or anything like that. If it, if the guy looks solid, if he looks like an NFL player when it comes to, um, to defenses, probably is. Um, if you would have looked at Micah Parsons film, you would have seen a guy where you say, oh my gosh, this guy is tremendously talented. He looks like he could make a dent. That's probably because he will. <laughs> um, again, it, it also depends on the type of defense that they're going into. So you definitely want to do some work to see, okay, is the defense that this guy is familiar with, is it one that's similar to the one that he's going into? If he is, let's say, for example, um, if it is a cornerback that has a ton of interceptions, okay, is he going into a defense that has um, lent itself well to that, um, a program that is known for defense? 
So, for example, if the Baltimore Ravens, for example, uh, stepped up and picked the best cornerback in the draft, I might be tempted to put down a little bit money, a little, little bit of money there. Um, so if there is like a defensive coordinator or a, a, an organization that is known for their defensive acumen um, or a coach defensive coordinator, like I say, that that has that mindset, definitely something to watch. So when you're able to find that athletic profile of just the absolute freak um, and they are teamed up with an organization, not even necessarily that big market, it helps in terms of Micah Parsons, as you said, perfect storm. But if it's an organization um, that is known for their defense, big market doesn't hurt. Um, that definitely probably be the way to go, or at least if you're interested in dipping a toe there. But yeah, um, have a look, see, and yeah, Raven makes a great point here in the in the chat. You want the guy they send off the bus first? No lie, that is accurate. <laughs> so. You, you may have meant you may have mentioned it earlier, but I want you to give me just one guy that you're looking out for in 2022. Again, I, I enter. Okay, are we talking about defense or are we talking about overall? A defense. Defense. Like okay. One defensive guy. One defensive guy. Um, it really depends on where he goes. Um, but I have seen. And I, I keep saying his name, but there's a reason for that. Um, Aiden Hutchinson, his dad, Chris, actually also played for Michigan, also won a Big Ten championship. But again, when you have a defensive player going to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, now I will step aside for a moment and say the guy who won the Heisman Trophy and who may very well do it again, being only the second back-to-back Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young, quarterback for Alabama, when he comes out, you're going to want to get all over Bryce Young, but he's still got a minute. So with regards to defense or maybe even in general in this upcoming draft, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, the guy just has the numbers, the freakish appeal. Um, he is going to be in the college football playoffs. So if you do not watch a lot of college ball, uh, he will be under the biggest of spotlights going up against some of the best athletes the college football has to offer. So I, I definitely do recommend tuning in Michigan in the big spotlight, you'll be able to see Aiden. Uh, you'll be able to see why he has just absolutely wrecked offenses in the Big Ten um, and see what he can do against some quality NFL-level uh, prospects. Yeah, I'm looking at this guy right here. He looks like he's built like T.J. Watt. I would say that is a that is a quality comparison. Um, I, gosh, I, remember t- I remember both J.J. and T.J. Uh, from Wisconsin. So you've got another Big Ten quality defender um and like you mentioned i've seen a couple in my own backyard with levante david and dominican sue um the the big 10 puts out i think two things on a regular basis uh quality offensive linemen and quality defenders usually a couple every every year you can usually count on that uh maybe the occasional wisconsin running back uh whether you like jonathan taylor or uh, I know there's there's a couple that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but John John Taylor is out in the open right now so much that he's kind of front in my head. Um, but yeah, Aiden is definitely a guy to watch. Um, I, I think you guys will enjoy him if you watch him. He's very fun to watch. Awesome, man. Awesome, right on. Yeah, you know it's 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 so challenging to get in on on the current draft class of players because of the available products there is for them i mean 
that's what's so challenging to me because I know that once these other sets are released, like we're seeing Prism, um, uh, Mosaic being released right now, pretty soon Prism. I just saw release dates for Contenders in 2021. Um, then the Optic, the Select, all these sets, these 20 to 30 Panini sets that are released that are going to seriously take a, per, a player's available rookie card from when they're drafted to uh, you know from a few to over 200 <laughs> i mean what's what's your thoughts on that oh man well my my biggest thoughts i just i can't wait to get my hands on the product i mean it seems like there really hasn't been much lately that i personally have been able to get my hands on um absolute was here but personally my favorite sets are both prism and select um that's that's pretty much what when i came back into the hobby those were the ones that were hot at the time so i think that probably has a little something to do with it um but just with everything coming down the line i'll have to say too andy um with your affinity for the rookie ticket autos um i've kind of gotten into containers a little bit more um and touching in on that briefly with with contenders the one thing that i really like with that and this can be okay for a hot minute if it's all there is to have of that player, um, collegiate uniforms. As a guy that watches a lot of college football, you know, to, to folks who don't, I can see them saying, oh, you know, this is this is an amateur uniform. I want to see the pro unit. And I get that. I totally get that. Um, it is cool seeing the baby picture of the uh, baby's first NFL uniform. Yeah. I totally get that perspective. Um, but from a guy who watches, let's say, an Aiden Hutchinson or – um, there's a wide receiver coming out of Nebraska, kind of in the mold of uh, Devonte Smith, uh, Samori Tari. Um, if he happens to come on, gets a you know a rookie out or something like that. Seeing them, how kind of I remember them in highlights from college. There is a uh, there's a worth in that. I know I'm not alone. I know it's not the vast majority of the hobby. I know the vast majority of the hobby wants to see them in their NFL uniforms. Totally understandable. Um, but with regards to with regards to the upcoming i mean we've kind of had like you said a little bit of a lull but then uh i don't know how much longer those base uh rated rookie mac jones are going to be going for 35 40 because once we get mosaic optic uh prism select one thing i wanted to ask you about andy uh, and you may have already talked about this what did you think of i matter of fact i think i know you did what did you think of the new prism uh set I know you guys went over it a little bit, but I, I wanted to see if maybe any time passed, if it had grown on you a little bit. Certainly, uh, because, uh, you know, every time I, I look at the 2020 prism, I'm now thinking about the 2021 prism. And honestly, I like the 2021 prism design a little bit better. I like how they extended uh, that color band on the side like all the way through and, and maybe it helps if i pull up the uh the artist proofs again yeah uh, i'd have to take, take give me a second to find them but i they definitely do grow on me they grow on me uh every every year you know since since i got in um when i was looking at 2019 prism and at first i thought those look kind of goofy with the uh you know like the half like heart on each side and and then the uh the 2020 prisms very geometrical um, you know, they, they, they grow on me. I, I think they make a good card in Prism, and it certainly is, quote unquote, like up there with with top demand in in the hobby. But um, like you say, collect what you like. And I've personally 
have gravitated more towards now the rookie ticket auto. That's my little, you know, ace in the hole uh, card set right there. Absolutely. And when I started on it too, I'm like, you know, it is a, it is a really sharp, clean look. Um, and the more I see them, the more like, man, uh, whether it's analytics or whatever, and, and he is at the, uh, he's in on the ground floor of this stuff. I kind of look at Prism as kind of the dressed up version and like Select as more of a casual version. There's um, one thing though I will say uh, with regards to Prism in the upcoming set, I do dig those manga inserts like the, uh, the one with Tom Brady and the Infinity Gauntlet. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, also the, the, uh, the color splashes, the color blasts, um, I think look pretty, pretty cool as well. The first time I actually saw the proofs, I was kind of underwhelmed, but again, the more I see them and once I actually get to see them up close, um, we saw a lot of color matching too. So I'm curious to see what that looks like actually live and, and in front of my face. Yeah, they, you know, they're incorporating more and more color matching in base cards, which is very clever. But I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. You know, it's I, I wish they would cut down the number of parallels. Honestly, I, I, the, the number 50 to 100 type parallels is a little bit a bit much to me, in my opinion. Um, I, what, do you, what do you think about all the parallels? Would you like to see them? scale it back a little bit or do you feel that it offers a little something for everybody i'm sure that there are plenty of people I, I know there are people who like to collect the rainbow but for me personally that is not me um i think when it comes to color um with regards to the number of parallels in a set i think less is more you know, regardless of whether you are a sports collector or a, like a Pokemon or a MetaZoo collector, the same thing transcends it. Everybody's looking for shiny. That Any collector wants the shiny stuff. Um, so I think maybe even putting an emphasis on that um, is the way to go. Though I do understand um, that while Panini is its own company before they get, you know, completely eaten up by fanatics, you know, take, take advantage of the demand that is now happening with the hobby popping again. And you want to get maybe a little bit more color into the hands of potential customers. Once they do officially go under the fanatics umbrella, um, I can understand that, but am I personally going out saying, okay, for example, you know, collecting Levante David, Oh, I've got to get the red. Oh, I've got to get the blue. I've got to collect the whole rainbow. That's not me. I know there are people out there, um, who enjoy that and and not knocking on that at all. Um, looking at here, you bring up the snakeskin. I need to see this in front of my face because when I look at that, I just see a bunch of pixels. And I like Justin Fields. I'm with Carter and I think he's a long-term hold, but I do not know about that parallel, at least as it exists <laughs> right there in the proof. Well, yeah, and think about the snake skin. Is it going to be uh, a super short print card? It's going to be like a case hit. So the values associated with it are going to be astronomical. Yeah, I do like the the color match, though. And I think we're going to see – I'm curious to see what we get with it. Um, what do you think about these the legend signatures? This was something I was kind of on the fence about. I think for the right the right coach – 
the right player. This could be very interesting, um, even though the autograph is on a sticker. If it's authentic, uh, I think this, you know, this puts a, an autograph of a, a Hall of Fame NFL, whether it's a, it's a coach or a player, um, I think this puts it on a nice card. And I think this makes it very compelling. You maybe add some color to it, some interesting text, font. I think this makes this a really cool collection piece, which in turn, you know, you know, makes it a good investment piece if you can get it low enough. Absolutely. I mean, you definitely if there's if there's a bill of chicken there, you know, everybody's going to be gunning for it. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily know what kind of a market there will be for it. I'm curious to see how that goes. Obviously, you're going to you're going to get the people who want the the rookie patch who's want to get, you know, they want to get the prism. I don't know how many people out there are going to be hungry for uh, the bill parcels, but again, that's not a market that I am intimately familiar with. Um, that being said, uh, no, and there's something else too. I wanted to bring up with you, Andy, is it just me, you know, getting back into it or does it kind of seem like we are in an era of the autograph? Like if you're not handling a card, that has an, uh, an autograph, whether it's sticker or on card, um, you're not looking at much. We, you know, I had brought in too, is base dead, man. If, is it that anything that doesn't have an autograph or a serial number or a game worn, not just a, you know, not just a napkin, but an actual game worn uh, piece of, uh, of Jersey or whatnot. Like, are we in that era where it's that or, like in terms of market share, is it that or terribly sorry you're you're sitting out? Uh, I don't think it's terribly sorry you're sitting out. However, autographs um, it, it definitely hold a lot of value, and um, they're definitely very hot. I I'm a big fan of autographs. I love the on card autographs. Um, or but even even with the sticker, it's it's something that it's almost like. Uh, uh, the the jersey patch cards the jersey patch cards i think would do a lot better if any of the jersey patches were from an actual game or event but the fact that it's just uh player worn doesn't really do a whole lot you know i, I think it's important that these autographs come from the player and they kind of symbolize the player in a way and i do agree with al shout out to al here that uh, the penmanship goes a long way like we were talking about tyler huntley these autograph earlier it's it's absolutely terrible it looks like you know a little kid did it and it has two lines and i i think that like this bill parcells autograph where i can almost read out it says bill parcells or even the trevor lawrence autograph or the trey lance autograph here these all look incredible and that's kind of why they put them on the poster for the 2021 prism but i think a good autograph goes a long way i have terrible penmanship but when I do use my signature, I at least kind of, it, it looks almost like a doctor's writing prescription, uh, but it still has a little bit of flair. And I also wanted to point out a statement that also is in the chat. We are in an era of slab cards. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, a lot, like I said, maybe the vast majority of the podcasts that I listen to, they are always referencing PSA 10s or SGC 10s. They are talking about, grading companies doing their things. Yes, raw is brought up, but it seems like the standard right now is when you get that graded card back. And again, I'll, I'll loop back around to that 
the misconception that if it's if it's not graded, it's not worth having. Uh, absolutely not the case. But we are seeing so much put out there that too, um, with PSA getting backed up and just kind of the backlogs in general, we're starting to see uh, grading companies step up and 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 kind of come out and try to make a name for themselves. And I'm not saying competition's a bad thing, but again, you've got unethical people coming out and say, "Hey, we can smack some some plastic on it and a label, and yeah, it's great. It'll go out there and it'll sell for a few hundred dollars." And that's not the case at all. Um, sorry for the bad pun. Yeah, I think uh, we are in an era of slab cards, but we're just in as much of an era of autograph cards that are raw. Um, I think we're in we're in an era of scarcity, scarce cards. We're in an era of of demanding cards for like good performances. It's it's very much hand in hand with fantasy football. Would you agree, Brandon? Definitely. Um, it. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that is the volatility um, of the, of the hobby as well. Um, but like when I go on eBay, again, as a, as a newer entrant into uh, the hobby in terms of the modern day, I don't go on there thinking, Oh gosh, I got to get an SUC 10 or I got to get a 10 no matter what. Um, I'm not chasing a grade. I'm chasing the card. Um, again, if I want to, if I want to PC it and send it in and have it look nice and, you know, authenticate the, the autograph, for example, again, yeah, if I'm going to go out of my way to get a card, it's probably going to have an autograph on it. So that's one thing. Um, but again, just throwing, you know, throwing it in some plastic and saying, oh, well, it's not legit if it's raw. It's not legit if it doesn't have a label on it. Um, I, I think that does everybody a disservice. And I think it's just um, trying to separate people from their money. And, and I think people should be very worried about that. Uh, when getting into the hobby, just just because it's not encased in plastic, it doesn't make it, uh, it doesn't drive its value um, down that much. Like in the uh, in the here and the now, okay, sure, maybe somebody's not going to give it a look if it's not encased in plastic, but I don't think that's a good long term strategy um, if you are investing in those cards, especially if they are not one of the top tiers um, like a PSA or an SGC or a BGS. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's 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 um it's not like uh, it's not black and white like that, you know. Um, I I, I think it's a, it's a continuing, uh, the hobby is continuing to evolve. It's constantly changing. It's very fluid, you know. It's very fluid based on a ton of factors because, like fantasy football is is black and white. You either want to start players or sit players. You want to draft them or don't draft them, um, in a variety of different formats. You're either you know, buying the over or the under, whereas the, the cards take all those factors into consideration from actual performance and fantasy football and their career trajectory and all that, the team scenario, the social media likeness and, and all that kind of stuff that kind of like the college name image likeness, you know, thing. And, but then it also takes in the fact, like the fact that when has this card set been released? What cards are available for this guy? You know, how many are in the different marketplaces What's the supply and demand like on their autograph cards? You know, how many graded cards? There's so many there's so many different factors when you when you start talking about their cards that you have to take into consideration that it makes a lot of them in play. I mean, 
what what some people like to target serial numbered cards of their their second year their third year uh rare inserts of their second year third year they're not concerned about their rookie year there's guys like me that are very much focused on their rookie year their rookie cards per se there's guys like you that really enjoy the college jerseys the college cards and we're seeing demand pick up for that and it's all just a matter of you know taking all these things into consideration and kind of what your your end goal is if you're investing or you're flipping then you kind of look for these market inefficiencies you try and think about the the reaction the behavior that other people are going to have around a certain player why would why that demand would go up and then in turn what kind of cards would they target you know there is a question too in the chat um from uh, Kamikaze card collector, would you guys rather have a club level silver or a field level? Now I'm going to kind of switch this around a little bit and would you have, okay? So if we, and I, I want to illustrate a point here. So if we have a card, uh, we'll say out of 99, okay? Um, for you, Andy, if you could pick any number out of 99, what would you pick or does it even matter in whatever card that may be? Uh, if it, in your case, let's go with a, let's go with a Tom Brady. So if you have access, you have the mm -hmm. funds to get a Tom Brady out of 99, what number would you pick if you could get any number or does it even matter to you? And, and this is a rookie card. This are is we a, talking, sure. uh, yeah. club, are we talking 2020 select club level or field level? Whatever you want to do, whatever you can do, whatever whatever the card, Tom Brady, whatever yeah. you like, number to 99, you're, you're, you're collecting them all. You're going Pokemon style. Got to get them all. So you got a 99. What number are you going for or does it matter? Uh, it definitely matters in the sense that 12, yeah, I mean, I've seen it here in the comments, but for me, I definitely, I mean, I would want a card either number 212 or having the number. Number 12, um, I think that's very powerful. Very powerful. Okay. Now, I don't disagree with you at all. If I have uh, the opportunity, at, and again, brought up here as well, one or the jersey number, great. That's a great thing to go for. But there's an added element for me. Um, there are numbers that I have a personal connection to. Um, 17 is a big one. 71 is another one. Mm one or seven are big for me. So whenever um, I'm getting into Raz or something like that, where I have the opportunity to choose a spot and you, you see me pick a number, if I can, it's going to be a seven, one or a, a 17 that's available. So if I see a card um, and it's not a Jersey number, it's not a one, but it's a 17 or if it's out of 299, if it's a one, seven, one um, that holds a special spot in my heart. Um, so if we are talking like, okay, let's say one wasn't available, 12 wasn't available for me. Um, the grail of that would then be the 17. Um, so I think that again, just goes to show that in terms of a collectability standpoint and a PC standpoint, there are a lot of niches that you can find. So if it is, for example, a Levante David, Nebraska uniform, 17 out of 99, that would be a must-have for me if I could get it. Mm. Yeah, and it, and it wouldn't necessarily matter what the the set or the parallel was if it had that specific number. That would have bring bring a lot more collection value to you. It, it'd have a much bigger meaning to you, uh, and and you'd probably pay a little bit extra for that card as well, wouldn't you? 
Yeah. Um, and the other thing, though, the beauty of that is if somebody looks at a defensive player um, and they think, oh, well, it's it's not one and it's not his jersey number. It's just 17 or 171 or whatever. That's that's a stupid number, a random number. Not to me. And if you want to give it to me for a few bucks, I will happily take it. <laughs> so I think that helps you know, add that out there as well. Cause nobody, well, not nobody, but fewer people are chasing the 17 or the 171 versus the 12 or the one. Um, and for me, in terms of a personal collection, now if it was a flip, that's different, but from a personal collection standpoint, if I could get the 17, the 171 or what have you, um, I would definitely have my eye on that auction a lot longer than if it was, for example, a 47. Hmm. That, that, hey, that's really good to know because those are the kind of things that it, it's really important to take into consideration. I'm always trying to put myself in the, in the collector's shoes uh, when I'm looking to buy cards in auction to invest in, to flip, you know. Um, th- those, are, those are important factors. I think like uh, number 13 may be like a lucky number for a lot of, right? Number 13, mm-hmm. you know. Um stuff like that or or like i see bookends uh but if i had to pick between club level silver or field level i'm mm. gonna go with the field level i love those uh those swirls on that field level the way they design I'm, that card i am the i'm the same way with that and i actually i don't know if this is even gonna show up i don't know if this will even i don't know if i can even find it but i do have a uh field level tom brady around here somewhere um from this past year's set and I gotta say, it's uh, it pops. It's not even it's not even a silver, um, but just the the swirls and the uh, the presentation is on point. I mean, I like shiny, but I also like uh, good display of the actual card art as well. Um, two, I think you know field level being the the pinnacle that you can get to. I mean, there's something to be said about that as well. Um, I actually recently sent Carter a club level uh, prism Tyron Matthew. Gorgeous card, um, but if I could get that, it was also a die cut, and I'm not the biggest fan of die cuts. Um, but yeah, if I could get a field level, um, even if it wasn't a prism, uh, I would definitely go over that versus the club. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. I I, I think so. I think the and the and the field level is more scarce. You know, it, it's a shorter print card. Um, I think in general, based on prior years, the field level has done better. Plus, you know, club level, that's that's a new parallel this year from Select. And, and they've gone retail, which is a, is a whole nother kind of revelation this year for 2021. Uh, Select going retail was big. Uh, they, they definitely elevated the print run of that product. I don't necessarily think that uh that's bad for it i think it just forces people to be a little bit more um intricate in deciding which of the select cards to target you know it um it and you know and that's kind of a little bit of what i think started the base cards are dead kind of conversation in in some of those videos from some of the bigger youtube channels because you know, the strategy in prior years, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, was to buy the base prism cards and the prism silver cards 
and get them graded and and flip them and that strategy has evolved for the most part in today's card economy um and part of that is due to the the dilution of base cards because of the increased print run the increased availability of product like select it does and again that kind of goes to where i think parallels are overdone but i understand the concept of wanting to get them in more hands there's more people getting into the hobby you want more people to have the opportunity to increase their collections um one complaint that i think is is pretty loud i don't necessarily know if it's the majority i just think it's very loud um is that some people are upset about this theoretical um larger print run a lot of people are saying that now again you know panini's being purchased they're going to be printing everything they can and totally diluting the market except um i would argue there's something standing in the way of that um and that would be the supply chain situation that we're all very familiar with so while they are printing no doubt to demand they're only going to have so many supplies so while they may i don't know i don't know paniti's uh, stance on this uh, they may want to print more but they quite literally don't necessarily have the the product to actually do that the actual supplies there was a question uh, or there was a statement actually uh, i wanted to to ask you andy I saw this, um, I think it was on Twitter the other day, and somebody was making a general statement about the hobby. Um, somebody, it, it, was a, it was a situation which left a bad taste in somebody's mouth, whether it was a bad transaction on eBay or something like that. And someone made the statement that it is an elitist hobby. Uh, I like to do a lot of philosophical stuff and make people think. What is what do you think of that statement that the hobby is elitist? Um, well, there's definitely certain sectors, I think, of the hobby that do act as elitist and they do kind of, you know, they, they only post up these crazy one of ones that, you know, cost thousands and thousands of dollars um but the hobby as a whole is not elitist at all i mean there's tons of us out here that are just investing in you know um lower end cards and uh, mid-tier cards um and we're just having fun with it and you know we're sharing knowledge we're building a community um you know i mean we're not all trying to three you know four x our money we're not all uh, greedy we're not all uh, pumping and dumping you know um i think sure there are bad apples in the hobby definitely definitely we've seen it whether it's people trying to steal cards at shows or you know people giving uh, uh, investment advice on cards that they're trying to sell kind of thing um i know it happens but it's not a representation of the entire hobby you know yeah, no, I feel I feel the same way. I think I understand where that sentiment is coming from um, because you definitely do have collectors with far more disposable income who kind of look down on even Select or Prism 
sets that we might consider uh, great or, you know, contenders, things like that. Um, they're only going for flawless and immaculate and those one of ones and all that kind of stuff and everything else is trash. Um, and I think when you get that voice with a large megaphone and a spotlight, I think that may give it a larger voice and a, and a bigger uh, kind of cast a larger shadow than there actually is. Um, having the opportunity to find your channel and uh, meet the folks in the Discord, which, by the way, uh, I mean, anybody else who's watching this who is not uh, a part of Andy's, Andy's Patreon, uh, I'm not being paid to say this, but do join, do get in the Discord. Uh, I would definitely love to meet each and every one of you who are not already a part of it, but who want to get in on it because it's a fantastic community. Um, we are seeing a lot of genuine um, relationships being formed. Uh, I do not typically get on Twitter a lot. Um, but when I, at, at least for my uh, 402 collectibles account, but if you do DM me, I'm happy to talk to you. Um, I, I have met some excellent people, done some giveaways, uh, am looking to do that again here probably in the new year. Um, and I think there's that stuff that doesn't necessarily get all the play, um, the great communities out there that, that you know, they're, they're not being... Um, they're not getting a ton of spotlight. You're getting folks who are giving um, alleged investment advice or things of that nature. Um, and then you've got people who will not admit that they've um, made a bad decision or that they've uh, had, had a bad, uh, a bad investment. Um, and again, that, that goes along with when it comes to investment advice. Yeah. There may be a player, um, or a set or something that's coming out that somebody's saying, oh yeah, definitely I would buy, but that's a very important statement. They would buy it. They would make the buy. That doesn't mean that you should. So just because a person with a ton of subscribers or a ton of followers or anything like that is saying, oh man, you got to run out and buy Trevor Lawrence. He's just in a bad way. Urban Meyer, this, that, and the other thing. If you say, well, I don't necessarily know about that, and you uh, have some other analytics or you have some other takes that are very important and can help you do due diligence, trust your gut. That's another great lesson um, that I've taken away from this. If at the end of the day you're like, mm, this doesn't test the smell test, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, man, this has been, this has been a, a really fun conversation. I've really enjoyed getting to know you, Brandon. Make sure you guys go follow Brandon on uh, Twitter at 402 Collectibles. Hop in our Discord. Uh, join our, our membership um, over on Patreon.com slash football cards. Uh, I appreciate the little testimonial there, Brandon. Uh, it is a pleasure to, you know, serve all of you guys and build this community and kind of be the um, – the spokesperson for what our quest is all about. Uh, and, and that's it, man. I'm, I'm just trying to, to share the knowledge, uh, the good and the bad, but I'm, you know, I'm right up next to the, the bar with you guys, you know, eating at the same restaurant, drink, drinking the same drinks. And uh, it's been, it's a fun ride that I look forward to the future, man. So I, I definitely think uh, we should do some more uh, shows like this in the future. Absolutely. Um, just kind of getting back into it. You know, I'll be coming up kind of a year back in it, uh, coming here this spring. Um, and I'm kind of touching little bits and pieces here for the first time, whether it's grading or, um, 
you know, all kinds of stuff. I've, I've, like I said, I've had that one opportunity to do like a personal break, which only went to prove that I'm never going to do that for a living. <laughs> but I want to thank you for uh, bringing me on here. Love to come back and kind of talk that newbie perspective. Also would love to come and talk uh, collegiate prospects and kind of go into that a little bit more. Ooh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got a draft right around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. Yes, it will. I know Carter will have his thoughts um, and I look forward to them, but I'd also like to, to chime in as well. Carter, uh, very deep in SEC country, well, with LSU and Alabama and everything. And I am here uh, in the San Diego of the Big Ten here in uh, or near at least Lincoln, Nebraska, but uh, in Nebraska as a whole. There you have it, guys. All right, guys, we're out of here. Until next time. Oh, by the way, just for everybody, I did win my fantasy matchup. Jalen Hurts came through with another uh, rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown to none other than Greg Ward, which I'm sure helped nobody, but uh, helped me. Helped me win my fantasy champion, uh, not championship, but I made it to the championship round. And real quick, I do want to say, um, not necessarily investment advice, but Jalen is my personal long hold. So if you are down on him, that's totally cool because I would enjoy adding a few more cards to my collection. I'll just leave it at that. Yes. Yes. Jalen. I can't agree with you more there, Brandon. (laughs) All right, guys. Peace.